you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC Squawk on the Street. And congratulations to Squawk Box on their new set. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Scott Wapner with Jim Cramer live from the New York Stock Exchange. Carl is on assignment. He's going to be back later this morning for Squawk Alley. David Faber is at Warner Brothers Studio in Burbank, California. We'll have an exclusive. He will with the Warner Media CEO, John Stanky. Looking forward to that. He's going to discuss the new HBO Max streaming service. Let's take a look at futures this morning. Some economic data better than expected today. That's the picture on Fed Day. Dow would open higher by almost 34. S&P by about two and a half. NASDAQ by 17. Our roadmap this morning starts with right there. The futures pointing to a higher open. After that stronger than forecast economic data, investors, though, staying cautious ahead of the Fed. Record highs within striking distance again. Plus, shares of General Electric popping after an earnings beat. The company raising its 2019 cash flow forecast and streaming wars. AT&T set to challenge Netflix, Apple and Disney unveiling details for its upcoming HBO Max service. As we said, David talks exclusively with Warner Media CEO John Stanky. And that's coming up in the next hour. As we said, we're looking forward to that big interview. We begin first, though, with the markets, the Fed. It is Fed Day. Jim, the data was better than expected this morning. Still confirms we're we're slowing, yeah. so the Fed's going to be cutting, well, I mean, right? The Fed raised too much. It, it is just a fact. Uh, Jay Powell overdid it. The economy couldn't take it. There are a lot of people who come on air and say it didn't matter. If you look at the mortgage purchase numbers this morning, it's clear it does matter. Internationally, Scott, I mean, it, we're lucky. The, the stocks are doing far better than the economy. Uh, people aren't hiring international. They are hiring domestic. Uh, I think we need a cut. How many quarters can you have where numbers are bad because of the strong dollar? So, look, Jay didn't do it right, and that's okay. It's okay. I mean, people make mistakes all the time. We accept mistakes in uh, other than for the New England Patriots in sports. We accept mistakes in school. We accept mistakes in, in science. Why can't we just accept mistakes in Fed policy? Well, he's been trying to make up for it, if anything. Maybe this is going to be the third cut. What if it's a cut and pause? Is that a mistake? Well, no. There'll be people who sell on that because there's probably an algorithm that says uh, cut, pause, cut, pause. And they'll act immediately. So people who want to buy stocks should wait for the cut, pause. The greatest thing that Jay could do is say, you know what? I'm now going to take written questions like they do on the Netflix call. And he, you know, because last time he had people like, hi, hi, I'm from the, I, I, I'm from the Springfield, uh, from, what is that, uh, Woodrow Wilson High? What is that school, Woodard? It's Springfield? It's the high school in Washington, D.C. that everybody likes. In Bethesda. Woodward. Woodward. Hi, I'm from Woodward. I, I'm the editor-in-chief of the Woodward paper. And what do you think about, about going green? I mean, did you see that fiasco of a press conference? I mean, what did he do? Invite people from junior high? He has got to tighten up his game. 
He has got to say, you know what, I'm going to pause and I'm going to take a couple of questions, not a lot of questions, because I have other things to do. I don't really care what else he has to do. He's I don't care if it's stop, the Washington Nationals. Stop acting like he plays for the Hilltoppers and oh start my God, he plays for the, the Hilltoppers. It that is was absolutely in the show. Yeah, it's killing me, killing me, killing me that he is playing for the Hilltoppers, which play, of course, that's the Summit team. I coached a game. We beat Voorhees. It, I'm not kidding, Scott. It's amateur hour. It's amateur hour. He's got to be more professional. He's got to say, listen. I may pause. I may put the data dependent, data dependent, data dependent. And then we just we just say we can't take it anymore. And we turn on some pre-baseball stuff. Yeah, David, you've got, you know, GDP coming in at, at one nine. You've got earnings coming in better than expected, even though expectations were low. And there are those who are saying, why do we need a, a cut? And yet the market expects it and we're likely to get it. Yeah, I mean, you've spent a lot of time and we've spent a great deal of time discussing this uh, on, on your show, Scott, and on our show as well. And Jim has made these points many times that, you know, maybe there's one more or a couple of more because we went too far. I, I, I don't know. Um, the industrial economy, perhaps not as strong as, as would like. Strong dollar, uh, of course, a part of that. You know, Jim, you look at GE earnings, though, today, uh, and you have to wonder again, uh, is that a reflection of things getting a bit better? No. No, that's, a, that's just literally, David, I'm not kidding. That's Larry Culp rationalizing the company. Uh, and by the way, if the 737 MAX doesn't fly, those numbers won't matter. Right? But I happen to think that Larry, is, Larry Culp is, getting, is finally getting his arms around what was a pretty impossible situation. But, David, I am not going to say that better free cash flow is related to the idea that the economy is better. That's, that's related to the idea that Larry Culp has finally undone a lot of mistakes. Even Alsom finally looks like you can't find it. So I don't want to ascribe to that. I'd rather do like C.H. Robinson, which is a, a, a company that does freight forwarding. Miserable numbers. Uh, I, I just find, David, international is bad. My hat is off to Larry Culp. Because he has finally gotten control of power, David. He's empowered. Yeah, well, I mean, right. That has been the key from the very beginning, as you know, Jim, getting their arms around power in in terms of at least sort of putting it on a much steadier or stabilizing it, I guess, is the right thing to say. And that's a big statement you just made. I mean, if they really are sort of and have stabilized power and, and can at least have a sense as to where the business is going from here, that's a big deal because yes, it is. Culp would have to- has told us. I mean, it was, you know, a year ago when we sat down for, the, for his first interview, he certainly indicated at that time, and that's why the stock sunk. If you recall, it wasn't power wasn't done. So, if uh, in terms of at least the bleeding, uh, and so if that's the case, Jim, that's a significant moment for the company. That's why, Jim, people like Stephanie Link bought the stock, yep. have added to the stock on the very belief of what David was just talking about and what you said. Culp, he's gotten control of power, which was the breaking point. Right. So is the stock not a buy then if he's gotten control of what was one of the worst areas of the company? Well, look, I mean, what happens if the 737 MAX is grounded in the first quarter? Okay. I mean, I don't think it will, but the numbers are too high. That said, long-term care, I regard as being under control. No adjustments this time other than for having to do with interest rates. Uh, uh, Wind is turning out to be as good, if not better, as Nat Gas. Remember, wind, it isn't always windy, so then you've got to switch to Nat, Nat, Nat Gas turbines. That's a very solid story. Aerospace service is really good. I'm going to say you buy half. You buy half. I don't like the thing this be on the run. Remember, we're going to have some hearings. we got uh, Molenberg's 
Well, uh, you know, you got the 737. I'd be interested in hearing, you know, David, until Stephen Tuza comes out, I guess, and gives no, his did, take. He gave us a little. He gave, he gave, he gave a little us, because yeah, he, I mean, he, he just reiterated feel... a, what, a two weeks ago, a $5 price target. Jim is furiously looking for his yeah. guts. I know Tusa you don't, I don't know if you have a yeah, was saying it was boring. He, it was boring. He's got, he's got a lot of room oh, over there. He's it. in my area. Get out of my area, Jim. All right? Hey, man, stay, stay out of area. my zone. Uh, hey, yeah, the sight out of mine, man. He's, he's, uh, he's you're out of here. He's going to do whatever he wants. <laughs> tell you something. I got, I, I got By the way, guys, anybody who tells you. Anybody who tells you Southern California is not freezing in the morning is, is lying to you. It's like 27 Lose the vest. I just, just want lose you to the vest. I can't stand it. Uh, all right. Tell us right, what Tusa had to say. Wait a second. Here's what he says. The quarter was in line, and there is not much controversy here, though there is some need for clarity on a few items. You know, that actually sounds like a real company. It sounds like a real company now. I think Tusa is saying, listen, this is a real company, and I can start putting an actual multiple on it, David. I think it's very important, Mr. Cashmere. It's going to be like that. <laughs> what? What I said? I you left him speechless. All right. Listen, what stocks up nine percent. They could use it, but I mean, we're still talking ten bucks. It hasn't. It's it's hung around that level for a very long time now, Jim. Well, what is that? What do you mean? Still I mean, lost nine and a half billion dollars, didn't they, in the quarter? Well, they, they had an eight billion dollar charge, but it was nine cash. Um, that was said Baker Hughes. There's, they, this company did so many stupid things. But, it's almost it's like it's like Grubhub. But you said to the to the for David's first question, what? are things getting better? You they said are. no, no cold. No, he said the econ- is the economy getting better? Can you read through to GE to the economy? And the answer is no. You can read through the Culp's brilliant. GE Culp's brilliant. is getting better because Culp is got you know you, he's free cash flow. He's rationalizing the company. Remember, we've never been able to put a multiple in this company because it became cats and dogs. Uh, do we have to move on? See, in my ear, someone says we have to move on. In reality, I don't want to move on. But then again, you know, this is not in our basement. It's a show, and we have to move on. That's true. When someone says move on, you move It's on. not Wayne's World. <laughs> well, AT&T is unveiling its HBO Max streaming service. Dave, of course, has those details, if you couldn't tell by now, as to the reason why he is in Southern California with that beautiful backdrop and the vest. Yeah, yeah. It's actually a sweater. He's right. I think it might even be cashmere. I'm not sure. Um, and I need it because, as I said, it's really cold here. We're waiting for the sun to come up. We're also waiting to be joined by John Stanky, who is the president and COO of AT&T, also, though, running Warner Media. Of course, we're going to talk to him a great deal about what was their presentation yesterday, 3, uh, 3 p.m. Uh, local time here, so 6 o'clock. A lot of people sort of digesting uh, all the news that came out. Uh, almost overnight, if you will, uh, from six to nine yesterday, as they presented uh, the plan for HBO Max, fourteen ninety nine. Of course, being a key price point here, very similar to what HBO is priced at, with the thirty four million subscribers there. The question is, how many will simply move to HBO Max, given there is really no price differential, given what you're paying for most of uh, most of your cable uh, distributors for that. Um, a lot of uh, focus on all of the content, and particularly. They kept coming back to the idea of breadth and depth uh, and of trying to service areas and demographics perhaps that HBO currently doesn't hit as hard. Uh, women, for example, young adults being another one, millennials, Gen, uh, Gen Z, um, talking about the fact as well that the top 100 titles on these services drive 50% of usage in general at the SVODs. Also an interface that is my opinion certainly seems far, far superior to what you certainly get right now with HBO if you use that digitally. 
uh, and may rival, if not exceed, some of the ones that are already on the market. And not just using algorithms, by the way, Jim, but actual human um, recommendations in terms of what you might like. Don't forget the humans. But the key question here is going to be, will it resonate in the marketplace at that price point? Certainly with current HBO subscribers, yes. But will you be able to get the additional 16 million incremental subscribers they believe they will add over the next, let's call it, five years by 2025? That's a question. There's a lot of content there, 10,000 hours of library, 35 new shows right off the bat for HBO Max itself, and obviously all that HBO content as well. Um, but it'll be interesting given where the price point is. Not that it was a surprise. In fact, it may have been a bit lower than some had anticipated that it would be, guys. A lot to talk to Stanky about, of course, uh, around the top of the uh, next hour. So, David, the, part of the commentary that I saw this morning from, you know, the likes of Rich Greenfield say that to be successful in the streaming business, you need premier content, check. You need a uh, tech platform, check. And you need marketing and distribution capability like they have, check. So they enter at a point of offense where a lot of the others in the streaming business or the fledgling competitors here don't necessarily have all of those attributes. You, you believe that? Yeah. I mean, listen, you know, you, you, the question, of course, is how many streaming services is the average home going to actually want? Is it free? Is it four? But you have to consider that this is going to be in the mix. There's no doubt about it. If you consider a Netflix, Amazon already coming into your home if you're a Prime subscriber, Disney Plus, certainly if you have children. But given the breadth and the depth of content that they're going to have available here, beyond, obviously, HBO itself, what is the premium and what they maintain will still be the premium offerings out there when it comes to video, Scott, uh, you have to consider that this will be certainly something that people will consider. But, you know, you do wonder, I do still wonder about the price point. I mean, HBO has been in the marketplace for a long time. It's got 34 million domestic subscribers. Netflix has a lot more than that. Uh, and that's a key reason, So, uh, because it, it's fairly expensive. And so you do wonder how much it's going to resonate with people who perhaps are on a budget or younger people who somewhat un, are somewhat unwilling sometimes to pay for these kinds of services. And I think those are some of the questions as well. The investment's going to be fairly significant. They are saying it's going to be profitable by 2025. Jim? David, let me give you a, 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 just a kind of a habit. Let's just say a theory. When you and I used to speak to Mr. Bukas, who, by the way, is a great American, uh, the idea that HBO was worth a huge amount of money, uh, very undervalued within the mix, uh, was something that was talked about all the time. Do you think, in order to raise money, that ATT could spin off some of HBO? Uh, I, you know, no, I, I, I don't. Um, they are all in here. It is central to their strategies, certainly at Warner. I mean, I can't tell you how many times the various people who took the stage more or less said, we're all in. That was Stanky. Uh, everything starts with HBO. That was Greenblatt. Um, they talk about DC and say, you know, we're all in there too. Uh, I mean, no, it's hard to imagine, given the focus that they have on this particular product and the importance they're placing on it for driving Warner overall and obviously being a defense against the trends that we all know are so pervasive right now in terms of cord cutting, uh, that they would ever consider doing that. I, I, I don't oh, anticipate that or, or think that that would be a possibility. So, so David, they're, they're going to spend, from, from what I see, $4 billion on, on, well, we're playing the music. 
You know what? We'll come back to you. We'll come back to you. I know the yeah, club, we got the music. We got it's either in the ear we got to go yeah. or the music, which tells you we got to go without the stuff in the ear. Up next, it's Kramer's Mad Dash as we count down to the opening bell. Let's take another look at futures. We were poised to open higher on some better than expected economic data. We're pretty much in a holding pattern there. Dow would open higher by more than 30, S&P by about three. More squawk on the street from the New York Stock Exchange is straight ahead. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. All right, we're back about 11 minutes before the opening bell time for Kramer's Mad Dash ahead of the open, and we have AMD. AMD. Now, Scott, you and I like sports. We make no secret of that. Fair comment. We often talk about how important coaching is. It's probably the most important. It's how teams win. Well, look at the coach, Lisa Sue. She takes over a company that people have given up on. Bad balance sheet, really no roadmap for growth. Takes over right here. It's actually fifth anniversary. Look what she's done. I think this is the greatest turnaround story of our lifetime. And this quarter was excellent. Even people like City. Now, by the way, City, let me see, it's very funny. It shows you where people were. Advanced micro, another miss, but got up. We expect share gains, but not meaningful EPS. Raising estimates, reiterate, sell. It's got an $8 price target. $8. I think the train has left the station for this man. This quarter had a roadmap for growth. There'll be sellers. There'll be sellers because she did not say it is the greatest thing ever because it's not Lisa Sue's way. Didn't they have a weaker revenue guide? Ah, uh, you know, I mean, I've gone over. I went over every line of every of every single one of those. It's all systems go with the data center. It's all systems go with gaming. I think that the, anyone who thinks there's a weaker revenue line, you're missing the sec, You're missing some great orders in the second half uh, and the first half of next year. Look, it's just a winner. And people have been itching to take profits. If they take profits, you got to own it. Despite Lisa Belichick's performance. Yes. What's the overall read? You got AMD, you had Texan, which was a disappointment, and then some good chips in between. Texan was uh, Internet of Things. They have too much auto. They were trying to diversify away from cell phone. Uh, Analog devices, uh, similar to Texan, but doing a little bit better. Uh, Intel, obviously, telling you that everything is fantastic in their market. The reason why I'm not worried about the revenue issue is she's taking share from Intel. And Intel had a great quarter. She's got the great data center chips. Her whole roadmap is perfect. She is so good. And you're right. The only the only thing that she's going to do wrong, she's going to come to Philadelphia and she's going to lose to the Eagles. We should start talking about her as being Belichick. Okay. It's really right. So Belichick doesn't have enough fingers for the rings. Lisa Sue and her husband Dan are two of the nicest people in the world. Just remember where you got that from, okay? When you use it on that. I'm going to use it. Oh, I steal things all the time from you. <laughs> all right. We have many movers to get to this morning, so stick around for more Squawk on the Street. We're going to count down to the opening bell next. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. 
For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big-picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Welcome back. We're six minutes from the bell. Stocks will open higher. Opening bell is just minutes away. You're watching CNBC's Squawk on the Street live from the financial capital of the world. The opening bell set to ring in just about three minutes time. Jim, let's go back to GE. It's going to be a big winner off the open. And as we said, the notes are starting to come through. I mentioned Stephanie Link to you. She sends to me, I've never heard Culp this confident and in command of the company since he started. I think the free cash flow inflection should have folks taking notice, not just for a day. I think she's right. I mean, I really think that what you're getting here with GE is uh, it is the turn. It is the turn. Uh, We've got long-term care in a box. I'm not as concerned about it. I was before. I wanted to see free cash flow go up. We've got that uh, nice $650 million from industrial, industrial, an industrial company again. Uh, The pension plan, okay, we understood that. It'd take a hit. That one's solved. Uh, Wind is now making not a lot of money, but the renewables are doing well. Uh, Turbines, still issues with net gas, but under control. And again, like, um, aerospace is fabulous. I, obviously, at the, the max has to get back. Everyone's, everyone's. David, when I look at, at what's going on uh, with this situation with GE, uh, with, with, with Honeywell, uh, with United Technologies, David, this, this max is everything. It really is. Because otherwise, you want to own all these stocks. What are you hearing? Uh, I only listen to what Phil LeBeau tells me. Right? Don't you? So, I, I, I don't know. I mean, how much longer is well, Mullenberg going to be the CEO of Boeing? I guess that's what people seem to be focused right now as much as they are on when the, when the plane's actually going to return to service, Jim. It has become the ultimate guessing game. So, Tuza, Every, Everyone is making a guess about this. The aforementioned Tuza is out with some commentary as well. No, quote, smoking gun here, but as always, the follow-up and details will be key for forward estimates, for which we remain well below consensus. Well, you know, look, he can keep talking about that. Uh, I don't think it's about consensus. I think it's about credibility, which a year ago there was none. I think it's about the idea that there's uh, no cash drain to the point that we should be worried about the common stock. I think it's about 2020. Uh, he's all, uh, Culp has always said that. David, uh, when Steve Tusa says those comments, the way I read it is, hey, listen, I, I, I am I'm not excited about the stock. But I no longer think it's it's a, a situation that is dire. Don't you think that? Uh, yeah, I I, I, I I tend to think that. I mean, Jim, are we do we feel like we're completely safe when it comes to long term care? Are they done? Uh, you know, is this it? I mean, there are still questions. Don't forget Harry Markopoulos and his entire uh, indictment, so to speak, of the accounting at the company as well. That seemed to have come and gone 
without too much impact. Yeah, well, look, you know, I'm still waiting for the gigantic uh, decline in the debt position. We don't have that. But that's what the free cash flow can do. Um, I, I, I think that the damage here turned out to be not irreparable. Let's put it that way. And when I read what Tusa's is saying, I think he's saying, look, he, I'll tell you, if you talk to Tusa, here's what he's going to say. He's going to say, I haven't, I haven't changed my view one bit. Uh, there's that's nothing what, here. That's basically what you take from his... No. Well, I mean, I, I, I listen to Larry Culp, and I think, how can you not change your view one bit? If you have Stephanie Link at this point, I will, in a claymation death match between Stephanie Link and Steve Tusa, I'm going with the Linkster. What do you think we can get for that on pay-per-view? I don't know. It's up to what David says about Stanky. Fifty nine ninety nine on HBO Max. Oh my David. God! Hey, it should be on that Ultimate Fight Club that they always keep pushing on uh, ESPN Plus. It's the Linkster versus Tusa, and my my inclination is is that the Linkster has a combo, a one two combo that will put Tusa right on the canvas. David, Tusa on the canvas versus Linkster. Let me tell you something. Some dudes on my show have found out the hard way. Right? Yeah. Take on the Linkster. Linkster. You end up on the canvas. She jogs. I used to, you know, you have to get her to 355 because she's on the treadmill doing 10 miles starting at 4. Do you think Tusa does that? I am all in Stephanie Link. Tusa, step aside. (laughs) Two enter, one leaves. It's Stephanie. In the octagon. Uh, speaking of, there's a big match this weekend yeah. at MSG. All right, here at the big board, we did just have the Bells, the regional uh, board regional management, a diversified consumer finance company, and up at the NASDAQ, Scholastic, the publisher and distributor of children's books and educational media. You know what stock I wanted to hit, Jim, as well? I wanted to follow up on Grubhub from yesterday. Oh. Schlubhub is what it's looking like yeah. this morning because yeah. it, uh, it's down again. I think After- he- you know, 40% yesterday. Well, I think that if you look at the subtext of his call, he took it from buy to sell. He did. I the mean, CEO. Yeah, the CEO. With the promiscuity he, The comment. CEO, well, not just the promiscuity. He's got to be careful because, you know, you got to write the, when you write the conference calls, you have to be kind of in the light of day, no offense. But there's a great Goldman piece, and it starts out with, we got it wrong. I mean, don't you love that? We got it wrong. David, you know, I got to tell you, hey, David. Remember when you used to have the penguins or whatever it was with the thing in with the uh, analysts? Yeah, it was penguins. David? Yes. This yes, is, I do. I mean, this is a, break, a penguin breakout, David. It's a jailbreak of penguins. <laughs> Worst I've ever seen, David. Yes. Worst I've ever seen. We used to have them running off the iceberg. Of course, we looked for lemmings. We couldn't actually find the video, and so we went with the penguins. And for years on the old Squawk Box, we used to use them to indicate the worthlessness of analysts in a case where they were just reacting to the news itself and of no actual help because none of them actually forecasted what might have happened. Now, well, those morons should own a restaurant promiscuity, like I do. Jim, I don't know. Well, look, I own a restaurant. Yeah. Well, my so wife owns a restaurant. She was making pizza this weekend, for heaven's sake. Uh, Lisa, memo to you. Can I go out to dinner and, like, at another restaurant besides the Longshoreman? And, and, David, there is absolutely nothing to distinguish these companies. This is the ultimate commodity, except for one of them plays with venture capital money. And, David, venture capital money is like going against nuclear weapons and you're conventional. And I, even though this guy gave up a lot to be able to get all these big cap restaurant chains, this thing is a disaster, David. It's a disaster. Second day, we have full it's, it's out. It's kind of like point. radiation. The second day, there's downgrades. 
Yeah. It's an interesting point you raised, though, about all that capital that rushes into these business models that aren't necessarily able to prove even profitability, but have the effect of overall depressing prices for the public entrance. I mean, think about, for example, Uber, uh, which is up against Didi in some markets, both, of course, funded by SoftBank money. You're talking as well, I think, here about DoorDash, correct? Funded by SoftBank money. Yeah. yeah. Postmates. Postmates. David, if you have SoftBank money, do they give it to you and say, listen, you're allowed to lose every penny and more? I mean, because Adam Newman seemed to do that. I, I'm not kidding. DoorDash, when I met with DoorDash, they're basically saying, hey, Dor- what, I, this restaurant, the Longshoreman, one day I, I, I go to the website and it says that DoorDash is our exclusive distributor. Uh, they're not. They weren't. And then they go and they buy caviar, and now they are. I mean, they're buying business. They are making very little money, if anything. You know, they're not making money at all. They're things, not making money at all. You think, think these things cannot stand alone as individual companies. I think Dan Nathan made a good point last night at 5 saying that they need to be part of a larger entity that can sustain some of the losses and lack of profitability at least in the near term. I, I don't know. How do you compete? It's a bunch of guys on bicycles taking food to somebody's house. That is not a great business. Let me do this. We, we have some developing news as well, Jim. Boeing CEO Dennis Mullenberg arriving on Capitol Hill just moments ago for a second day of hearings, taking some questions from our Phil LeBeau seconds ago. Let's listen in. Take it back here. Um, that's Phil yeah. LeBeau, of course, walking with the Boeing CEO. Day two of that testimony. That was tough yesterday, man. Phil, uh, Phil's with us now. Phil, you described his performance yesterday. I think it was average at best is how you said. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and really the second half of yesterday, it was not good. Look, he didn't have a chance to answer many questions, mainly because a number of the senators said, flat out, this company is a mess. And there are a number of problems, specifically with the MAX, with the FAA certification. Senator Tammy Duckworth from Illinois, she flat out called him a liar. She said, you lied, your company lied to us. I, that's what I asked him about mm-hmm. in the hallway. He essentially dodged the question and said, look, we've never been uh, lying to anyone. We have been forthright. Much the same message that we've heard from him time and again. Guys, as bad as those questions were yesterday for Dennis Mullenberg to sit through, it may be even rougher with some of the representatives who are going to be talking today. Peter DeVazio, I talked with him the other day. They've been doing an investigation. His committee's been doing an investigation. Uh, They are loaded to bear, and they're going to come at him hard, and I think he's not the only one. I think there will be more specific questions about what he knew, when he knew it, and specifically with the chief technical pilot and the instant messages and the emails that he exchanged with another Boeing employee where he suggested that he misled regulators. Yesterday, Dennis Mullenberg said, yes, I was aware of those uh, emails and instant messages before the second 737 MAX crash in March of last year. I mean, that was one of those moments where everybody kind of looked around at each other and said, okay, were you aware or did you read the message? Did you know that? What specifically did you know about those messages and why wasn't that brought up immediately in terms of discussions with the FAA, et cetera? Guys, back to you. Yeah, Phil, I, I got to tell you, it felt a lot like when Tim Sloan 
CEO of uh, Wells Fargo went to Washington, and it really wasn't Sloan's fault. He was cleaning up John Stump's mess, but he was hurting the franchise. And he told me if he was hurting the Wells Wells Fargo franchise, he would resign. Uh, I'm not. I thought that right. Dennis was contrite, but I think that if the board says that he's hurting the franchise, well, Phil, it, doesn't he have to do what Tim Sloan did? Which brings up the question: if, if you buy that, and I'm not saying that that's a wrong theory, but Jim, if you buy that, is it better to replace your CEO now? When you've got a ton of things that are up in the air and a ton of uncertainty regarding the max and getting it back in service, or are you better served by saying, okay, we don't think he's the right person, but let's get through this crucial period, then we address address this once the FAA recertifies the plane, whether that happens by the end of the year or shortly after the new year. I mean, that's, that's really what the question comes down to for the board of directors. No, it has to be uh, the latter. You cannot do it right now. Um, and it has to be up. Uh, to right. the board and Dennis dealing with the board. But, yes, you can't do it right now. But uh, I, I hear Correct. you, Phil. And, you know, I, I'm rooting for Dennis and I'm rooting for Boeing just because it's a great American company. But I understand that there are people right. in Washington who are basically saying, if you want this company in 2020 to be in the mix of defense contractors, in the mix of, of what's blessed, uh, we're going to need a change. And I, I thought that was harsh because I thought Dennis was contrite. But, wow, Phil, sure. those two options you offer, I'm taking the one, second. One quick note, Jim. When this all started, I specifically brought this question to several Boeing executives and their, uh, their PR people. I said, why don't you bring in an outside investigator, much like General Motors did with the ignition switch failure recall? And you, you bring in that outside investigator and you say, have at it. Find what you need to find. You come to us at a certain point and tell us where the problem is, who did what, and we'll take action from there. The response that I got time and again from Boeing executives was everybody said time and again, they said, we don't need that. The board is going to look into this. We're going to look into this. We can handle this ourselves. And what's happened since then, Jim? Drip upon drip upon drip of new revelations that have come out. And this creates the, 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 the appearance, which we heard yesterday from the senators, of you're not being straight with us. You've lied to us, according to Sam, uh, Senator Tammy Duckworth. And that's the problem with them not bringing in somebody with a stellar reputation who could investigate this from the get-go. They should have brought in Ted Wells from Paul Weiss. We don't talk about Fox being a corrupt or crooked company or anything because Ted Wells went in there and he said, here's how we see. You're absolutely right, Phil. And Ted, Ted would have been the guy beyond reproach, tough. Yeah. Think about the NFL. They went in the NFL. They decided, you know, the NFL, which some argue is the most powerful organization in the country. And Paul Weiss basically yeah. said, here's, here's the way we see it. You are so right, Phil. They should have brought in someone like Paul Weiss who cannot be bought. Phil, we will, we will leave it there for now, yeah. but I'm sure we will see you, you bet, guys. Uh, often throughout the day. That's yeah. our Phil LeBeau uh, with his Hearing starts at 10 story. o'clock. All right. We appreciate it. Thank you. Why didn't they listen to Phil? Why didn't they? I mean, what, is there anyone who knows more? I'm not kidding. Maybe no. Boeing thought it knew everything, maybe. Well, they should have listened to Phil. Phil covers the story. He understood. Let, let's, um, let's pivot to another company in the crosshairs if we sure. could. That's J&J. J, uh, Johnson & Johnson is rising this morning. The company says it is testing. its testing found no asbestos in Johnson's baby powder. 
That testing included a single bottle that the FDA had said contained trace amounts of asbestos, prompting J&J to recall a lot of 33,000 bottles earlier this month. Back in December, CEO Alex Gorski defended the product when talking to Jim on Mad Money. Unequivocally believe that our talc, our baby powder, does not contain asbestos. And that's demonstrated in thousands of studies. Studies not only conducted by Johnson & Johnson, but studies conducted by independent authorities, well-respected authorities, where we work closely with regulators who are overlooking the methodology. And by the way, throughout this process, we also not only use the best testing methodologies that were available, but we continue to improve them through the years. Okay, so that's Gorski with you. Beyond uh, reproach. Friar. This means beyond reproach. Stuff really drives me crazy. I know the, the planet, look, the reporters who are covering it are very, very good. And I absolutely, I, I'm the, the Reuters reporter who won the award at Night Badger, she's fantastic. Uh, but this test is, I thought, conclusive because they did a much, I think they did, it's, an, it's independent, they did much more work than the FDA. They're much more strenuous much testing more, than yeah, the much FDA. Much more rigorous, much more rigorous. But the key is Walmart, CVS, and Rite Aid, are they going to bring it back? Are they going to bring it back? And, you know, I got to tell you, I put, I put baby this stuff on every day. And I admit, I stopped. I stopped because I, I, the FDA, I'm back. I trust Alex Gorski far more than the FDA because the, he's more rigorous. He, he, is a, he is a man who is staking his whole reputation on, this, on these, these tests. Will, will, will customers, will, will mothers trust Gorski over the FDA when the it FDA comes to, to their babies? Now, the FDA has to back down, and the FDA is probably unlikely. But you trust the, the government versus Gorski? I, I know. I go with Gorski. Right. Gorski, who was a ranger in the Army. Gorski, who is sued every day by plaintiff's bar and never loses his cool. Gorski, whom I would vote for president if he ran for president. And our country would be much better off. That's how I feel about him. Okay. That's quite a statement. That stock's up 2.5%. Bob Pisani among the big movers this morning here on the big board. Morning, Scott. Morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Uh, 3039. Remember, that's our old closing high. Just shy of that, but kind of an indeterminate open this morning here. If you take a look here, remember our leadership th for the month. Actually, healthcare has done very well. Utilities have lagged. Tech's done pretty well, particularly semis for the month here. Banks have done exceptionally well. That's a market leader. Yield curve really helping that. Consumer staples actually are down. So this is sort of indeterminate trading, I would say. Keep your eye on the big picture, though, the trend. First thing about October is no blow-ups. So take a look at our, our month for October here. It's been basically a slow melt-up, despite the fact that we had a little bit of uh, uh, chaos here around uh, trade issues and tariffs. It's been a slow, slow melt-up here. And again, we're just off the historic highs. The other thing that's important is we're getting some rotation, and that's why the market is holding up so well. And that's what's kept us uh, generally in the green all throughout the year. So take a look. Banks... Hey, the Fed's helped here. We've got a, a higher yields and a generally steeper yield curve for the month. That's helping the banks. Healthcare, which is a defensive group, up. Tech's help, particularly semiconductors. So you've got defensive as well as uh, cyclical sector that are up here. And the old leadership groups, defensive stocks, consumer stables and utilities, are actually down this month. So we are getting a little rotation that's really helping the market. I think that's extremely healthy for what's been going on here. So if you take a look here, what am 
am I worried about? Complacency. I have been complaining for weeks about the volumes. It's terrible. ETF volumes are below normal. General equity volumes are below normal. Even uh, options uh, is below normal trading. Nobody is out doing a lot and committing a lot. Generally, we're moving up on lack of selling, not enthusiastic buying. And that's an important mindset difference. The VIX is at 13. That may be an obvious reason. There's not a lot of reasons to trade. But put call ratio has generally been low. That means traders are not going out and trying to buy protection for the market. They're not terribly worried. This is classic complacency. So the market is kind of like a coiled spring right now. It could be sensitive to any kind of thing that would move it a little bit to the downside, like, for example, the Fed coming out and trying to imply we're done for the year. We're not going to do anything else. So that's why there's a little bit of risk to the market. Obviously, the Federal Reserve has helped. They've been buying those short-term treasuries again. That's been helping the yield curve. But we want to know what the direction is. What are they going to be doing? And that's what we're going to hear about today. Remember the old Fed statement and what they, their last committee uh, statement was? The committee contemplates the future path of the target range for the Fed fund rate. It will continue to monitor the implications of income of information for the economic outlook and will act as appropriate to support to sustain the expansion. That's the key phrase. We'll look to see if they change that. We're looking for any indication that this is three and done at this point and how the market might react to that. And as I said, guys, the coiled spring idea, the complacency is very, very high right now. So the market is vulnerable to some short-term shocks, and it could come from the Federal Reserve. Scott, back to you. Uh, we appreciate that very much. That's Bob Pisani. Now let's go to the bond pits. Rick Santelli at the CME Group in Chicago. Good morning to you, Rick. Good morning, Scott. You know, a fascinating day. Not only did we get an important bit of data in our first look at third quarter GDP, but we're also obviously awaiting the Fed and its decision. Now, the reason that's interesting is because yields, and not only U.S., as a matter of fact, global yields most likely leading, have been rising all the way through October into this meeting. But after we had the good data points on GDP, Everything reversed in the U.S. and, indeed, in Europe. Look at a 24-hour chart of two-year note yields. We're up at 165, kind of the high watermark, 166 for this cycle. That was up one. Now we're down two. If you look at 10s, they were up a couple of basis points as well. They're now down three basis points. 180 was the breakout that we had on Monday. And, really, this is a key level, and it shouldn't surprise anyone that the Treasury complex goes in on an important technical area into a Fed meeting. That happens actually many times. Look at a one-week chart of those tens, and you can really see not only do we have the breakout, but of course we're starting to slip back. The boon one-week chart, it also slipped back a bit. Do keep in mind that 10-year boons are at a three-month yield high in the neighborhood of. They've reversed a bit. The two-year, the shots in Europe's at a five-month high. Finally, the dollar index. It benefited also from the data points, but it has not benefited from the easing cycle. It is now back down on the day. You go on to watch 98 in the dollar index after the Fed decision. Scott and Jim, back to you. All right, Rick, we appreciate it. Thank you. Coming up, HBO Max and the streaming wars. David has that exclusive with AT&T COO and WarnerMedia CEO. John Stanky, top of the hour. Squawk on the Street is back right after this. Let's take another look at AT&T. That stock is up 35% so far this year. This morning, getting another bump by about 1.5%. Stay tuned for David's exclusive with AT&T president and Warner Media CEO John Stanky on the launch of the HBO Max streaming service. Up next, though, it is Stop Trading with Jim.
All right, it's time now for Kramer and Stop Trading, and we have a big one after the Yeah, bell. Street.com is Eric Johnson, who's the best. He just got through the checklist. Seven important things you need. One, iPhone revenue and pricing trends. Two, wearables growth. Three, service growth and commentary. Four, iPad and Mac sales. Five, Chinese sales trends. Six, gross margin trends. Seven, stock buybacks. I'm going to be all over these. You have to have everyone be good with the stock where it is uh, right now. I'm going to ask you that. Is it overextended? These all have Into to be the good. number? These all have to be good. I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot. That's a big steeplechase. And China and the narrative yeah, around that. It's a steeplechase. You know, I'd like to hear the buyback speed. Did they buy back stock? And look, I've got to tell you, I want to hear shortages. Uh, air. I love the earbuds. The new ones? Yeah. Well, no, I haven't got them yet. I need noise cancellation because crying babies. Look, I mean, I love babies. All right. Everybody loves babies. <laughs> but I have gone from first class to coach. If there's a crying baby, these apparently are the answer. Don't first class the net. You know. Wait a minute, you've gone back behind the curtain, not in front of it. Absolutely, crying baby. I'll take any seat I can get, <laughs> but not anymore. Now I'm going to get these and uh, watch. Uh, I, I know that there's some shortages, and then there's an issue where there's real shortages. Tim has to be on his game, and he has to be on his game because of all this nonsense about people don't like their programming. One program. I mean, if the guy wanted to buy CBS and Viacom, he could do it. If the guy wanted to buy the NFL, he could do it. I mean, honest to God, I mean, this is ridiculous. The idea that he's being, I mean, yes, David is out there with HBO and they got a lot. I think that millennials don't even know that they're paying for the bill. They just, I got my Apple bill yesterday. It's like, you know, it comes in, it's email. I, by the way, my credit card, they told me I was past due. I was mortified. My whole credit, Apple credit card? Yeah, my FICO score dropped by like 300 points. They told me I was past due. I didn't know how to link it to my Chase account. Now I'm like, I'm telling you, I've like, I couldn't even buy, I couldn't buy a bungalow now after that FICO change. They reported like me. Four fifty now. Yeah. What's coming up on Mad tonight? I got Trex. You know, look, I use Trex. You can't even tell it's not good. I love that. Wingstop had the best numbers of any of the restaurants. Uh, much better than you. I'm sorry. And so we're going to talk to Charles Todd Morrison. I tried to get a Wingstop franchise, and he said, "How do I said how do I get one?" He goes, "I don't know. Get 20 McDonald's franchises and four Burger King. Maybe I'll even speak to you." He gave me the Heisman. This has been fun. Have fun tonight. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.